Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5, KPL 232-1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation. You can also use the KPL app chat if you would like to uh, take part in the conversation there as well. Open up the KPL app, uh, hit the little text message looking icon in the upper right-hand corner, select general message for the show that you want to Send a message to that'll come straight to the inbox, and I'll be sure to uh, engage with you guys both on the app and on the air that way. Happy debate day to those who celebrate. I'm actually, I, I normally dread debates, uh, they're mostly for show, and we don't really learn anything. Out of, this one's a little bit different. I, I had to, uh, I, I did a, a call-in interview with uh, a news talk station in Seattle. I'm not Seattle. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, it was St. Louis. Uh, news talk STL in St. Louis. Uh, I've been on their show a few times in the morning, uh, and they were they were asking about the debate, uh, and Mike Ferguson, who's the host of the morning show there, uh, said, this one just feels different. This one feels like, you know, a lot of people are kind of writing this one off. You know, Trump's not going to be there. Uh, it's just everybody below Trump, but it really feels like this could be a defining debate in the primary. And, and, and you know, after he said that, I, you know, I, you know, kind of agreed with him. I think that this debate has the potential to really set the stage on policy debate in the Republican primary. Right now, everybody is focused on Donald Trump. They're focused on the indictments. The fact that Donald Trump turns himself into the Fulton County jail tomorrow, he will get a mugshot and everything like that. He will post his bond and we'll be on our way. But below the surface of that is the fact that we've got this primary debate tonight. We've got uh, eight people who will be on stage. Doug Burgum, the governor of North Dakota, looks like he will be on stage after apparently tearing his Achilles playing pickup basketball yesterday with his staffers. Very odd story, but he says he's going to be there. He might be on crutches. He may have to sit down. We don't know, but he is saying that he's going to be there tonight. The debates in Milwaukee. The Democrats will be flying an airplane over Milwaukee, uh, trashing the Republicans because the Democrats don't always believe in controlling carbon emissions. Uh, we will see, I think, some pretty interesting things on the debate stage. I've actually now heard from some friends that, may, you know, if Doug Burgum is there, he's healthy, he's not on painkillers or anything like that, Doug Burgum is actually somebody maybe you should watch out for. He he is somebody who can connect with audiences, so maybe maybe you can expect something out of him. I still think that the person with the highest ceiling in the debate is Ron DeSantis, and, and even more than that, Ron DeSantis is the guy who has to have a good night. If Ron DeSantis comes out of this debate with no viral moments, no memorable moments, the campaign for Ron DeSantis is basically over. This is where all this stuff about a restart of the campaign and everything like that, this is where that has to really be seen right now. Now, again, I've heard DeSantis speak in person. What you hear in person versus what you get in news clips and things like that, vastly different experiences. Ron DeSantis has the capability of having those moments, but he is also going to be under fire from the other candidates, particularly, I think, Chris Christie. But there is another, and I hinted at this yesterday, and I've 
been talking to some folks behind the scenes. Ron DeSantis, his, it's very clear, if you look at social media, the Ron DeSantis folks are the ones who are dropping a lot of the Vivek Ramaswamy oppo research. But I've talked to some folks behind the scenes, and I can tell you with certainty that multiple campaigns are dropping the oppo research against Vivek. Which leads me to believe that a lot of those folks believe that there is a potential for him to continue his rise. So I think you might actually see a pylon on him on the debate stage tonight because his rise in the polls, the national polling, is concerning to some. But there's also, it's not just his rise in the polls, though. A lot of people genuinely don't like a lot of the things that he's saying. A lot of the people who are in, among the candidates and people who are, are, are politicians don't like what he's saying on a couple things like Israel and like Taiwan. He has, in the past, declared his belief that we should stop militarily supporting Israel. In the past, and he's doubled down on this one, but in the past he said, we once we gain uh, technological independence on superconductor production and things like that, we need to just leave Taiwan alone, let China take it. And that's concerning a lot of the foreign policy wing of the Republican Party. They don't like the idea that we just drop allies when we no longer have use for them. And that's what Vivek is kind of saying in, in the way he's talked about these issues. There's the story now that he's a 9-11 truther, that he believes that uh, it was FBI agents who flew the planes into the Twin Towers on 9-11. Uh, just there, there's a lot that's being dumped out there. And he is trying to push back on some of it, but he really can't. He's flip-flopped on a lot of positions, and I think you're going to see a lot of that tonight. And part of it is, part of it is the fact that when you listen to him talk and the way he talks about some of these issues, he comes across as a 38-year-old not-politician. He comes across as a millennial non-politician talking about a lot of these things. And I say that as somebody who's a millennial and not a politician, but I'm not running for any sort of office. I'm just giving you my take on, on a lot of the things, but he is out there trying to be a politician, but trying to not be a politician at the same time. He's trying to capture some sort of populist movement among younger Republicans, but the way he's going about it, he, he's espousing some views that Republicans, particularly in the foreign policy wing of the party aren't really happy with. So I think that he's going to be the target of some attacks as well. Tim Scott, again, has to show that he is a tough, he's, he's a tough guy. He can launch an attack. He can take an attack. Right now, he's just the guy that looks more likely that he's going to hug it out rather than cuss somebody out. And, and people want a fighter. Uh, Nikki Haley is going to be very strong on foreign policy. She's going to come across as not authentic on cultural issues, but that's not really... Nikki Haley, uh, it's just going to come across that way. She cares more about foreign policy. She, as one friend described her, she cares more about the Chinese threat than transgender bathrooms. Uh, that That's her focus, is the foreign policy, a lot of the practical global stuff, and she wants to really address some of that. She, talks of, she also talks about the military, veterans, things like that, but the culture war stuff, she's not all that strong with. And it's, it's not because she... 
it's not because she's actually a secret liberal on it. She just thinks that the other stuff is more important than that. And that will probably come across on the stage. So there is so much out there. The only person I think I really haven't talked about over the past couple of days is Asa Hutchinson, the former governor of Arkansas, who I have no idea why he's on the stage. I have no idea what he brings to the table. I don't know what he's going to be able to do for any American. I mean, this is a Republican candidate who frequently goes on MSNBC. Think about that. How how serious about the primary do you think he is if he's running to preserve the Republican Party and save it from Trump-like elements and he's going on MSNBC to do it? Pretty big red flag. And I think that that would... Uh, that's a that's a very serious, uh, very serious mistake on his part. If he really wants to be somebody who can do something good for the Republican Party, move it in what he thinks is the right direction, going on MSNBC is not the way to do that. So, I think that's just about everybody who's serious. Uh, Chris Christie, I, I you know I, I I say the same thing that I said yesterday. He's going to be on the attack. I will note that having also listened to him live, Chris Christie's strength is talking about the two parties rather than talking about people. He is so good at talking about the uh, financial excesses of both parties, talking about how they've both spent us into oblivion, how we need to get away from that. And again, he's so strong against unions. He's so strong against these established uh, sections of power that take away power and influence away from the American people I think that there is something there for Chris Christie to grab a hold of tonight. But honestly, the only ones that I think have a path forward are going to be Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott, and depending on how he takes tonight, Vivek Ramaswamy. That's who I think are the ones who stand to benefit the most from tonight and who can use tonight to carve out their path forward. But of course, also in the midst of all that is Donald Trump. Trump supporters are going to Milwaukee. They are there. They are showing up in protest. Uh, Trump surrogates are apparently at the event. Fox News won't let them into the spin room post-debate, but they are going to be there. Uh, So the Trump campaign, and then of course tomorrow Trump is going to grab headlines by showing up to Fulton County, uh, to the Fulton County Jail. So... Trump is still, he's not going to be at the debate, but he is an over, he is a, a shadow over the entire thing. 232-1542 is the number if you want to be on the, uh, be part of the conversation. Before we go to the Four, break, three, let's, nine. that is, huh, I fell for it. I fell for one of the bot calls. I apologize. Anyway, if you want to call 232-1542, we will take this break. We'll be back in just a moment here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. If you're looking for more great conservative content throughout the day, why don't you head on over to my site, redstate.com. I'm a senior editor over there, and I work with a lot of great conservatives, putting out a lot of great news and opinion each and every day. Plus, if you use my name, Joe, as the promo code, you can subscribe with a discount to our VIP section where you'll get a ton more great content that you won't find anywhere else. Check out redstate.com today. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5. KPL 232-1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation 
or send a message through the KPL app chat. I will say I just got this uh, in the inbox. This is kind of funny to me. So uh, in studying hashtags and trends and things like that, one group has found that Louisiana is most interested in Ron DeSantis ahead of tonight's GOP presidential debate. Now, I did see a poll from last week that shows that Donald Trump still is like 70-something percent versus any of the other candidates in a Louisiana primary. Our primary is in March, in in late March, by the way. Um, And I've talked to some of the campaigns. I'm hoping to have some of the candidates on the show. Tim Scott's campaign has said they'd be interested. A couple of the others, they've shown some interest but haven't really had. And again, you know, we're a ways out from that. So it's not like I can, you know, you know, seven months away, get any firm commitments on anything because we don't even know who might still be in the race at that point after we've gone through so many uh, early primaries to see where everybody is. But I do want to try to get those who are in still on the show uh, if they wish to come on the air. So anyway, uh, just I, I didn't mean to spend a whole other, you know, half the show on the debate tonight, but it's it's like I was saying at the beginning of the show I'm more interested in this one than I think I've been interested in a debate in a while because this really paves the way forward. Right now, voters want to talk about the future and they want to hear about the future. The economy is a big concern. Parental rights and education is a big concern. How are these candidates going to address that? How are they going to address China? How are they going to address Russia? How are they going to address uh, all of these other issues that are important to them? The Democrats have moved so far to the left that they're even losing key demographic groups. They're losing percentages of black Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans. They are losing chunks of that demographic in ways they haven't before because they've gone so socially left and they favor the academic white progressives rather than the blue-collar progressives that they've typically favored in the past. This is a chance for the Republican Party to really show that. Now, granted, the Republican Party has to do that in spite of itself. The RNC is still nothing short of a clown show. And Fox News is, I mean, in, in, a, in its post-Tucker society, Fox News has really just kind of fallen off in terms of the influence that it used to have over conservative media. Uh, I do want to say, by the way, I think that Shannon Bream and Brett Baer are the right choice for moderators tonight because Fox News needs to show that their straight news folks can handle this. The other, uh, the other, media organizations in the past when they've done these Republican debates, they've always had people who are very, very opinionated moder- moderating the debates. Uh, Brett Bayer, I know Brett Bayer is a pretty straight newsman because the left and the right hates him. So I think that's a pretty good indicator that he's a pretty good middle-of-the-road guy, same uh, to a lesser extent for Shannon Bream. So I'm excited for you know the moderating tonight. I'm excited for the debate itself. Looking forward to seeing more of that. All right. That's enough about the debate. Let's get into some of the other news of the day here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPEL. Hey, this is Joe Cunningham, and you're listening to the podcast version of my daily radio show. Now, if you want to listen live, all you need to do is download the KPEL News app to your phone. You can listen live every weekday from 3 to 4 p.m. and... 
communicate with the show using the app's chat feature. So go over to your app store, download the KPL News app, and listen to my show every day from 3 to 4 p.m. Central Time on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation or send a message through the KPL app chat. <clears throat> Did get a question over the break. Uh, I'm going to answer it and I'm going to move on from the debates a little bit. Um, the question, which is a good question, how much time do you think the moderator will spend on uh, spend talking about Trump and do you think the uh, candidates will spend more time bashing Trump, Biden, or each other? The ones who will not spend time talking about how uh, horrible Biden is will lose this particular commenter. So here's my prediction on that. There will be some questions about Trump. It is inevitable. However, the moderators want there to be a good debate with the candidates going after each other. And the candidates want to get out from under Trump's shadow. So they're going to try to talk about substantive policy issues. They will talk about Joe Biden. Each of these candidates I know has a lot to say. Well, I say each of these candidates I know. I know that DeSantis, Tim Scott, uh, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, I know that they will bash Joe Biden. They will go after Joe Biden's policies. They will go after them hard. Mike Pence is going to... um, make his platform about conservative values. Vivek Ramaswamy is going to be using a lot of buzzwords to try to win young Republican voters over. Asa Hutchinson is a thing that will happen to us. And Doug Burgum, no clue. That's my take on what the candidates will do. Now, well, I can't say unrelated to the debate because I want them to talk about this issue, but separate from the debate is this story from Axios today. You know, when Axios first launched... It had a lot of potential to be a really good news organization because of their format. It was a bullet point. Here's the here's the highlights of this story. Here's the highlights of the news or event that we're reporting on. But they've quickly gone to the left. Here's the headline. Education intimidation bills have skyrocketed since 2021, report says. Here is the definition of educational intimidation bills. Listen to this. Proposals that, quote, radically expand the avenues for lone parents, government officials, and citizens to monitor and exert control over pedagogical, or pedagogical decisions. In other words, a public body like an education system getting oversight From, from the interest holders, the citizens, is education intimidation. That's what this definition is. I said this before, but I will say it again. The Democrats and teachers unions do not want parents to be involved in education. And teachers know that parents who aren't involved with their kids' education, those kids are the ones most likely to fall through the cracks. Letting parents be involved is education intimidation. That's what this group that has submitted this report to Axios is saying. Here's what Axios is reporting. 
Nearly 400 proposals aimed at allowing parents and government officials to change school lessons have been introduced in state legislatures since 2021, according to a new report from a nonprofit that defends free expression. Though less than 10 percent have passed, the climate around the bills has intimidated educators into self-censorship in schools, limiting discussions around racism and gender. PEN America said PEN America is this group, P-E-N America. The uptick in proposals comes as conservatives organize parents under the guise of fighting for parents' rights, which they put in quotation marks, and critical race theory, a graduate school concept rarely taught in grade schools. This is where I know the ed- the reporter here is an absolute hack. No one is arguing that critical race theory is a course kids are being forced to take in schools. Critical race theory as a concept is applied in the education of other school subjects. For example, focusing on race as the central tenet of American history. When I taught it, I used to joke that American history was the history of white people ruining things. But it, the, what, what critical race theory does is it focuses everything in American history through the, the lens of race. The idea, when, you, when you put critical race theory concepts into the American history classroom, you can talk about slavery. We talk about slavery in American history with or without critical race theory. What critical race theory does is builds on things like the 1619 Project, which says that everything in America is all centered around the fact that we were started because of slavery, which is a false tenet. And the idea that American development, historically, culturally, whatever you want to call it, is all all hinges on race relations, which is not true. To be fair, race and racism is a big part of American history. But that's not the central tenet of American history. There's this progressive ideology that math is racist. Because when you look at scores, what are the what are the groups, what are the demographics that most often struggle in con, in advanced math concepts? They are inner city black students. And so math is inherently racist rather than focusing on the fact that it's a resource allocation problem for so, different socioeconomic status. It is truly mind-boggling that this reporter would would say that critical race theory, is, that saying that it's in schools and conservatives fighting about it is a false premise because it's not taught in the classroom. It is inserted into other subject areas. It's not a separate course. It's the same when you talk about gender ideology in the classroom. Nobody is out, nobody is out there saying that there is a course on trans kids and trans ideology being forced on kids, but it's thrown into the mix in other ways, in other curricula, in other classroom discussions that are wholly inappropriate for freaking kindergartners. That's the argument that conservatives are making. And parents are saying, I don't want my kid taught this stuff. I don't want my kid taught that they are inherently racist because they are white. 
I don't want my kid taught that they must be the wrong gender if they would just listen to what this teacher would have to say. I want my kids to learn the three R's, the reading, the writing, the arithmetic. It is not educational intimidation to want the stakeholders, the students, and the parents to have more involvement, particularly the parents, because the students, most of whom are underage and they cannot legally make a lot of these decisions for themselves. For the parents to want to be involved in their kids' education, that is a pretty big deal that we should, that, that should be a no-brainer. And this reporter knows that nobody is claiming that critical race theory is some course being taught in the classroom. If this reporter thinks that this reporter is an idiot and does not need to be informing the public of news. The fact of the matter is that parents should be involved. They should be involved at every level of their child's education. The moment that child graduates high school and no longer has to live under their parents' roof and they go off to college and they get to choose their areas of study, absolutely let them take whatever course they want. But parents have a right to be involved with what their child is being taught in the classroom. And if you're pushing an ideology through the school system that is at odds with the stakeholders of that school system, the parents and the taxpayers specifically... They have every right to be involved. According to this report, Missouri has introduced the most educational intimidation bills at 30, followed by Texas at 21, Oklahoma at 20, South Carolina at 18, Indiana at 17, Mississippi at 16. Around 45% have an anti-LGBTQ plus provision, including the forced outing of students. You know what most of those you know what most of those quote anti LGBTQ plus provisions are? They are you can't talk to a child about sex and sexuality without the parents' consent. The quote forced outing. What that means is that parents you you can't transition a student without the parent's consent. You can't call the kids something at school that their parents haven't put on their uh, student information form. There are discussions to be had about what's the best way to talk to a student when they come out to you as transgender. Do you avoid it entirely? That makes the kid feel isolated. How do you talk to the kid about it? How do you help the kid understand that they are making a very serious decision here? Or do you just let the kid roll with it? But to say that this is the forced outing of students, that this is all anti-LGBTQ is nonsense. Because again, these are children. And this is what's so important for the Republican Party to be discussing. The social, the culture war stuff, I told you, DeSantis hit his ceiling on that with about 23% of Republican voters, but he needed to show more substance. 
You don't have to focus on just the critical race theory or just the LGBTQ stuff. You just have to talk about the fact that the Democrats don't want parents involved at all. And the Democrats want schools to be able to tell your children how to think about who they are and what they are. You want schools to be able to tell your kid that they are inherently racist because of the race they were born as. That's what parents are standing up against. That's what Republicans need to be fighting against. Republicans need to be fighting against these special interest groups that get their hooks into school systems and push these ideologies on kids. That's what Republicans are fighting against. That's what parents are fighting against. And it's absurd to push it as educational intimidation. It is a lie to call it that. Let's call it what it really is. Stakeholder reinforcement in education. Parental rights in education. Taxpayer rights in education. People vote for their school boards. They have a right. They have a right in this publicly funded school system to have an influence over what their child is being taught or indoctrinated with in schools. 232-1542 is the number. If you want to be part of the conversation, let's take this break. We'll wrap up the show here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. You know, in case you miss any show, you can always go back and listen. They aren't lost forever once you listen to them. But I do have a request. If you guys listen to the Joe Cunningham Show and you like what you're listening to, Go to your podcast app, wherever you're listening to this from, and give the podcast a rating and a review. That helps get the podcast out in front of more eyes so that we can help the show grow. Thanks again for listening to The Joe Cunningham Show right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to join in here at the last segment or send a message through the KPEL app chat. Be glad to visit with you here at the end of the day. Uh, breaking news, Russian officials have confirmed that Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin was killed after the plane he was on crashed northwest of Moscow. It has been reported that the plane was shot down by Russian defense. So I assume that this is just another ally of Putin who Putin soured on. And uh, the equivalent of some of those other oligarchs who have been defenestrated uh, from second-story windows on accident. Uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin was the Wagner leader who was uh, responsible for leading a coup against uh, Vladimir Putin before turning back, and that was pretty. That pretty much signaled the end of his run. Um, the best phrase tweet of the day. Wagner mercenary boss uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin was killed in a plane crash near Moscow. This will inevitably be suspi- there will inevitably be suspicions that this was not an accident. Uh, yeah, n- no, no kidding. Uh, but yet another opponent of Vladimir Putin has mysteriously gone down in flames. Very, very odd how that keeps happening. All right, so. A bit of news on uh, Donald Trump's indictments. The IT director for Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate has flipped on the former president, according to special counsel Jack Smith. Uh, This came out yesterday. 
Yuskiel Tavares, the Mar-a-Lago IT director, replaced his Trump-funded private attorney with a public defender and, quote, retracted his prior false testimony, according to special counsel Jack Smith, regarding the deletion of surveillance footage. The new statement from Tavares implicates Donald Trump and two other staffers in efforts to hinder the government's document investigation by by deleting security camera footage. Apparently, in the court filing released last night, he's, uh, he alleged there was a conflict of interest over Trump paying the legal bills of his co-defendants. Uh, this comes as multiple Trump co-defendants have been turning themselves in ahead of Friday's noon deadline in Georgia. Uh, the Georgia state judge has ruled that cameras will be allowed in the courtroom tomorrow for Trump's arraignment as well. So tomorrow, again, like I've said before, part of Trump's strategy is to take the wind out of the sails of the debate. He can continue to try to rally voters around him by uh, appearing in court the day after the debate and focus on and, and turn the the headlines to him tomorrow. It's a fairly interesting turn of events. I don't. I don't know what to make of the special counsel investigation and this updated filing. Uh, I'm just kind of reading what's reported here. Apparently, Tavares was is claiming that Trump's lawyers were being paid for so long as he maintained this company line. But the moment he flipped to a public defender, he started telling the truth, according to Jack Smith and, and these news sources. I don't know what the case may be, but uh, I've, I've said from the beginning, I think the Mar-a-Lago case is the most serious one against Trump. And if this turns out to be true, uh, what's happening here, I think that's that's another indication that that might be the case. Um, so anyway, that's it. Now, tonight for the debate, um, I'm going to be live tweeting about it. If you want to follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, you can. Uh Otherwise, check out redstate.com, uh, the site I write for. There will be a live blog on there. I don't know if I'll be live blogging on there, but I know several of my colleagues will be, and they will have plenty of takes from the debate itself. I will be on Twitter discussing it. I will have plenty to talk about tomorrow, I'm sure. So you guys just stick around for that. 23 hours from now, I will be back to discuss the debate and the news of the day, as always, here on The Joe Cunningham Show. Joe P. Cunningham on Twitter. Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Email joe at redstate.com. You guys have a great day. Check out the podcast version of the show on joecunninghamshow.substack.com. You can also find my columns there and my columns at Red State as well. Shannon is offsides, and he is coming up next here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. You guys have a fantastic evening. Watch out for this heat. Drink plenty of waters. Try to stay near some air conditioning if you can. I want you guys back here on the show tomorrow. Talk to you then.